Welcome back to the Pregnantish Podcast, where we always have real talk about fertility and explore the great distance people go to to create their families with the help of science and technology. Today's episode is presented by us here at Pregnantish. This month, we celebrate seven years since we launched as the first media and patient advocacy platform dedicated to providing high-quality content, community, reproductive education, and support for all the people who need help to build their families. For more, visit Pregnanish.com. Professional organizer and author of Unstuff Your Life and Calling Bullshit on Busy, Andrew Mellon, has been called the most organized man in America and has spent his career helping people not only declutter their homes and schedules, but also their minds, their hearts, and their lives. Andrew knows that during some of life's hardest chapters, like infertility and loss, it can seem overwhelming or even insurmountable to manage all the moving pieces. But he's determined to show that it's not only possible to lessen the load, but that when we do, we can access a whole new world of possibilities. It's not all or nothing. This isn't. This doesn't need to become the new normal forever. It's the new normal while you're in this hallway. And the rules of the hallway need to decide what stays and what goes, not your concept of what it means to be a good partner, a good employee, a good boss, a good child, a good friend. Andrew has shared his expert advice in countless media outlets, ranging from Oprah to The Wall Street Journal, and through his countless appearances and talks, he's inspired to show why prioritizing organization can help people alleviate stress, find new sources of productivity, and ultimately lead them to more success. Andrew, does that sound right to you? That's how I see you. And that's what I so appreciate about you. I'm so happy you're here in the New York studio with us today. Thank you for being here. Of course, Andrea. Thanks for having me. And I think it is accurate. It feels mission-driven for me. I mean, I get a lot of juice out of helping people live their best lives in a very practical way. I mean, it's not hyperbolic. It's not lofty language, like live your best life, yes. aspirational, but really getting nuts and bolts about how you can get closer to whatever that is and really getting those obstacles out of the way, physical obstacles, mental, emotional obstacles, spiritual obstacles, wherever they are. As my work as a professional organizer, it really began with the physical and the actual clutter, but it quickly became clear to me a long time ago, right? The stories, the stuff behind the stuff is often the bigger obstacle for folks. And figuring out where to keep your keys, your mobile phone, your charger can be solved relatively easily. The reason that that becomes challenging for you, why your focus is split, while there are universal reasons, that felt much more compelling to me, right? I mean, a chimpanzee could probably rearrange a closet from <laughs> white to dark and yeah. long sleeves to short sleeve shirts, but helping somebody understand why it is that they just drop stuff on a chair or on the floor and keep walking and then get frustrated at the choices that they made in the moment because they were checked out is just much more interesting. And I find that the solution is a much more sustainable solution. Absolutely. Because you're at that point, you're going deeper with what ostensibly is the problem is actually there's a greater thing behind the problem. We met, of course, in media circles. Yeah. 
many years ago, but I've never really asked you what brought you to this field. Like, how did you start? How did it come to you or you come to it? Because I'm sure it was a bit of both. Yeah. So 27 years ago, in December, I was laid off from a theater in Seattle, Washington, and I came back east. I got a gig co-producing an award ceremony at the Kennedy Center. One of our awardees was a Nobel Peace Prize winner. I went to his office to get some photographs, and they were a mess. I was going to create a slideshow for when he came up to get his award. Photos were a mess. Things were mislabeled, misfiled. Things had been lent out, never returned. And so I spent several hours digging through his file cabinet, pulled together some images. And as I was wrapping up for the day, his wife invited me into their apartment. And she said, so what's your story? And I said, well, I got laid off from this theater. I'm moving back to the East Coast. I've got this gig here, and then I'll be moving back to the city when the award ceremonies wrapped up. A few more questions. And she said, how would you like to organize our photographs for us? And I literally, I mean, I started to cry. He's somebody, I mean, we both know who he is. I have revered him for years. I mean, he was an amazing humanitarian. And I mean, I was so moved to think that they would trust me with this project. I was like, of course, I would, amazing, let's do it. So we made a date for me to go to work. The day before I was supposed to go to work, their assistant called up and said something unexpected has come up. They have to travel. Uh, let's do it in January. Made the date for January. Same thing, phone rang. February, phone rang. In March, they said, when we're ready to proceed, we'll get back in touch with you. So I never go to work for them. But I tell every person I meet in those four months, I got this amazing gig. I'm going to create a comprehensive photographic archive for a Nobel Peace Prize winner. That led a friend of mine referring me to her accountant who needed a filing system built, built it for her. She started referring her clients to me. So people would show up literally with a duffel bag full of receipts saying, wow. I've got letters in here from the IRS. I haven't filed my taxes in five years. I am freaked out. I don't want to go to jail. Right. And you make sense out of and this And this is when like a lot was analog, right? Well, we had paper. You didn't have the digital files, oh, which no, no, is no. a this, whole other yeah, level. Yeah, yeah. No. I mean, we barely had QuickBooks, right? right? So as I did all of the work, I'd put it in QuickBooks. I'd give it to the accountant that filed their taxes. And they would inevitably say, oh my God, you're a genius. You saved my life. And they would tell their friends, you'll never believe I gave this guy a pile of garbage and he turned it into my tax returns. And they would say, who is this guy? I need somebody just like that. Oh, so many people need that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in this world of not all of our listeners here at Pregnish, but many are juggling so much in terms of not just paperwork, but med schedules and more. So we're going to go into that management. But I guess I actually want to backtrack a little before that and hear more from you on misconceptions people have about getting organized, because I know some listeners are listening saying, well, this is a great New Year goal. It's January. I want to get more organized, but like I'm too busy to get organized. <laughs> so what's a misconception about just making this life switch. Yeah. Let's start with any sentence that has a but or a because in it should be a red flag to anybody. And it requires a certain amount of attention, but not a ton, to start to recognize when the but comes out, when the because comes out, when you're either rationalizing a limitation or you're literally solidifying a roadblock. That should be the first red flag. Oh, it will be very difficult for me to make these changes because I have a mindset that says this will work for everyone else. It will not work for me. And this is why. And as Henry Ford famously said, right, if you think you can, 
If you think you can't, you're right. So nobody will be able to argue with you better than you. If you are committed to this not working, you will prove that it won't work for you. I can tell you I've been doing this work for 27 years. I've worked with over a half a million people all around the world from Nobel Peace Prize winners almost to certainly to captains and queens of industry and stay-at-home parents. And to a person, if you have the mindset that says you can, you will. So as a first framing, let's say that. And then beyond that, when we think about misconceptions, it's that it takes more time to be organized than somebody has. And what I will tell you and all of the listeners as well is it is always the same amount of time. It's just when you apply it. And when you create time debt for yourself, it will actually, just like everything else that you put on credit, you will pay interest on that. So it will always actually take less time up front when the mindset is correct than it will on the back end. Having to clean up a mess will take you longer than to prevent the mess in the first part. And anytime the story kicks up that says, oh, I will totally do that later or someday when I have more time, that should be another red flag of there is no later, there is no someday. And certainly anybody who's trying to build a family you know, from the pregnancy on through when the child arrives, what makes you think that you'll have more time then? That's absurd. Empirically speaking, the math will not support that from the infant to they're going off to college, hopefully, or wherever they're going, right? You will never have more time than you have right now. Well, yes-ish. <laughs> Let me do a bit of a tweak on that. When you are undergoing a fertility treatment, the time that you need with endless blood draws, ultrasounds, insurance calls, med injections, morning, noon, night, it is a real stress on your schedule. Sure. And I can say as someone who underwent IVF and now has a toddler, I'd almost say that was harder to manage in some ways because the emotional. So let's talk about that. Sure. It's not necessarily the physical, you know, I'm like making her lunch in the morning. Right. Yeah, of course. But- how do you, when you're undergoing these heavy physical loads like you do when you're undergoing fertility treatments and then the emotional stress of it, and then you're built on top of it, tens of thousands of dollars sometimes that you cannot pay. Where do you even begin with that, wrapping your heart, head, mind around organizing? So in this instance, we're trying to do something not positive, but something life-affirming and very much about the future as opposed to, because I'm about to set a juxtaposition, as yes. opposed to like when somebody has received a terminal diagnosis and they're leaving. Yes. Right? In both cases, finite, the clock is ticking loudly, and there is a real-time compression. In each of those instances, it's imperative that we do uh, time and emotional triage and everything that is not essential is eliminated without guilt or shame or apology. When somebody's dying, it's very clear that the clock is ticking and every moment that we can spend with somebody is prioritized. We're not running around. It doesn't matter what's on sale at Nordstrom. It doesn't matter what's happening at Carnegie Hall. You know, if you can't take the person to Carnegie Hall, you'll miss the concert because you want to be present for that moment. It's the same thing in a more hopeful way, but no less critical, that anything that's not related to 
becoming pregnant needs to get removed from your schedule that can be. Those things are deprioritized with as much lack of passion and compassion as you can muster. So you don't have to apologize for it. You don't have to make excuses. You know what's important to you. And I would encourage everybody to lean into that and be comfortable, develop the emotional muscle to be able to say, I love you and no, not now. So saying no more, that's a great tip. And I think what hard life moments like this bring up for you is, again, on the relationship end too, like, I have more limited time now. Where do I want to spend that time? Who brings me joy? What brings me joy? Who brings me joy? Because now you have to be really, really conscious of where you're going to spend time. Now, this audience also, a lot of people are career people. Sure. Doing monitoring before work. They're coming to work late. I mean, it's just a slog every single way. So do you have some actionable, I mean, you have so much good advice. I'm trying to just maybe get a few actionable things. Like what are some, if people, they look at their IVF med schedule and monitoring schedule and their work schedule and their life schedule. Some even have secondary infertility with kids at home. It's like too much. And they just feel like they're going to pass out. Like where should they start? So three deep breaths will reset your central nervous system. The brain science tells us in less than 30 seconds, you can, just like power cycling your phone or your computer, you can reset your central nervous system. In those moments, again, the fight or flight part of us, depending on how we're wired, will often, if you're a type A person, you will think, I need to lean into beating the crap out of the day. If I take my foot off the gas for a second, it's gonna fall apart. That's a story. Being able to pause in that moment and say, this is not sustainable. I'm just going to become a crazy person and really reactive. I know myself well enough to know that I could cross that line and just be crabby and unpleasant. Doesn't serve me, doesn't serve anybody else. If I pause, which seems counterintuitive, and just take three deep breaths, you don't need to meditate for 45 minutes. Literally three deep breaths, count of five in, hold for one, count of five out will reset your central nervous system. And then I would say, look at your calendar. It's all math, right? If you have 24 hours in a day and you want to sleep for somewhere between five and eight of them, what are you going to do with the rest of the time? And when you do the math, what's left over? And when we're thinking about time management, if we think about what you must do, what has to be done but doesn't need to be done by you that you can delegate, and then what you can really discard. And so those three Ds really will help you to prioritize. Like, often for type A people, there's the story of, by the time I tell you how to do this, I could have done it three times. That's only true the first time. If it's something that's going to be repeated more than once, you will benefit, you will receive the dividend investment of, I will take the time to teach you how to do this and create an SOP, a standard operating procedure, follow the recipe. If you do this and you do it this way, we will get the results that we need. So I only need to tell you once how to do the laundry and put it away. I only need to tell you once how to make this meal and then you can do it for me. I understand again that there is sometimes tremendous financial stress 
and in some ways in for a dime, in for a dollar, if it meant another couple of hundred or even a couple of thousand dollars to buy the help, knowing that on the back end you'll pay it back, what's your mental health and your well-being worth if you're already spending $10,000 and it was another $1,000 to get some support, whether it's domestic help like residential help around the house or it's a task rabbit to run some errands, whatever it might be, is the $1,000 less stressful on top of the 10K versus you being a crazy person trying to live in the 10K of like, I got to make this work. Well, do you? Could you get some help? I love that. And I actually, as I've gotten older, also our time is money. So of course, there's the mental health stress of it. But I went through something stressful recently and hired, I had to move boxes at the same time as the stressful life chapter. And I hired on one of these services, like you said, someone for an hour and a half to move boxes. And if I looked at what I paid him, he was great. Versus what I think my time is worth, mm-hmm. it actually it was a deal. It's a net savings. So it totally makes sense. That's a really good point. I think also consciously, one thing I've started to try to do, which is not always easy, but I want your advice on or your insight on this, is I schedule in those mental health moments into every single day. And I had a chapter in one of my books about not thinking in terms of all or nothing because you'll end up with nothing because you can't do it all. Right. So what is, and that, of course, I have a company with the word ish. (laughs) So I'm a big fan of ish. But to ish in life actually could be really helpful not to think in terms of all or nothing. What Sometimes it's as simple as me going to a nail salon in New York City around the corner from my home and saying, can I have a 10-minute massage? Mm -hmm. Like a 10-minute on the chair massage resets me to then conquer or I'll give it to myself as a reward after some slogging of other stuff. So yeah, talk to me about those mental health or relationship moments that we should also prioritize in our schedules? Well, I put buffers around all my appointments. And I've trained my assistant. I mean, not that she's a chimpanzee, right? But I mean, I've trained her that we don't put an appointment on the calendar without a buffer around it because back-to-back meetings are a net loss for anybody at work or at home, anywhere. Back-to-back is never going to be successful because you're always processing what just happened as you're rolling into the next thing. So you might physically be there, but you're not mentally or emotionally there anyway. You might as well give yourself the 15 minutes to decompress and reset yourself before you walk into the next thing. So look at your schedule and make sure that, I mean, it's also like, the pads that are in our vertebrae, right? I mean, that's like a slip disc. The back doesn't work if bone is on bone. So it's the same thing. You can't back yourself into a corner where those things are there. And again, if any time, as I'm saying this, your listener's response is, well, that sounds great, but that's an opportunity to query yourself. What is the but based on? Is it just my knee-jerk reaction that I can't conceptualize of there being enough room in my day for me to be able to do everything that I have to do? In which case, perhaps it's time to let some things go temporarily. To your point, it's not all or nothing. This isn't. This doesn't need to become the new normal forever. It's the new normal while you're in this hallway. And the rules of the hallway need to decide what stays and what goes, not your concept of what it means to be a good partner, a good employee, a good boss, a good child, a good friend. 
Yeah. Give yourself some grace. That's a really good point because this is finite. Now, for some of us, we go through what feels like infinite, endless treatments. But there are certain treatment cycles. I often tell people try to take a break between treatments. Also, don't make important decisions on the heels of bad news because you're not thinking as clearly. And you might wake up tomorrow after sleep feeling much differently. And or good news. And or good news. It's the same thing, right? I mean, again, you could be on that high of, ooh, good news. I'm invincible. I can do anything. Mm, Maybe don't put something new on your plate. Why don't you just celebrate we had a success There's some relief. The negative space doesn't need to be filled with something else, right? Like, oh, now I can take on something else. Maybe not. Maybe not. (laughs) I need you in my ear more, Andrew. (laughs) I used to be called polyandria because I'm just like more fun, more stuff, but not always physical stuff. Let's talk about information organization and management. In this category, I always say fertility treatment patients, we somehow have too much information and not enough information at the same time. It's like the Wild West. It's one reason we launched Pregnant seven years ago. It's just so overwhelming and confusing. Is there a good way to organize information when you feel you have so much of it coming to you? Yes. The short answer is yes. And now for a brief message from us here at Pregnantish. This month marks seven years since we launched, and it's hard to imagine now that at that time, a dedicated lifestyle destination for this topic, infertility and modern family building, was not only new, but newsworthy. While still in beta, we were covered by Forbes, New York Magazine, Bravo, The New York Times, and more. I was on the homepage of the Toronto Star on Sunday with the headline, Pregnantish aims to end the taboo around infertility. Media outlets at that time who told me that we were niche were now picking up the story of this dedicated platform. And wow, it's been a wonderful journey with you all since. As we look back now in the year 2024, there's more content, more support, and more resources than there were at that time. But we still have a long way to go. And we will continue to fight for those who fight so hard to build and expand their families. Today at Pregnish, we're home to Pregnish Insights with the goal of bringing important patient voices to industry and to positively improve the future of patient care in ART. To share your voice in our upcoming studies or to find out more, visit PregnishInsights.com and please keep in touch with us by visiting us at Pregnish.com or by following us on social media at Pregnish. And now back to my interview with Andrew Mellon on why organizing our lives during stressful chapters like fertility treatments is so important. So let's just focus on the getting organized. One home for everything and like with like. So if everything about the meds, one category, it's all there. Any holes that need to be filled in would be on a separate list of, I still need this information so that you can methodically go and find it and then marry it into other things about meds, about physical treatment and appointments and things like that. All of those live together. If we use one home for everything and like with like to categorize and clump things together, then you can drill down into each category to either prioritize or group things in subgroups so that you can keep track of them. Make sure that anything that you're saving, whether it's a document, an image, 
that you come up with a naming convention or lexicon that is consistent so that you don't have to remember what you called something. You have a flow chart of, I call these things this. And the only thing that changes is maybe the date on them or the iteration of it. This is version one, version two, version three. So that, again, you don't have to remember, well, what do we call that? Is it taking it out of your world for a minute and just, is it auto or car? Did we call it car? Did we call it auto? If you're in and out of those two naming conventions, half the things could be under A for auto and half of them would be under C for car, and you will never find all of them. So unify those things to create the consistency so that the less we have to carry around and try to remember, the easier it is to just follow the roadmap, right? If there's a key that tells me, I call this IVF or I call it in vitro fertilization, I spell it out. Well, then you probably won't have anything unless you open up a parenthesis and call it IVF in that and then close the parenthesis. Then you could search under both, right? But if you pick one or the other, you're going to have to remember, what did we call it? Yeah, that's great advice. I think also one of our community members suggested to your point before, delegating, if you have a partner, certain parts of the journey. So especially in a heterosexual relationship, the woman bears the brunt of these appointments. We are there much more than men for monitoring. So in this case, this woman delegated to her husband, you're going to be in charge of the insurance calls. You're going to be in charge of, she gave him a whole list of what he can do that there's a lot he cannot do in the clinic, but this is where he could help. Right. And actually, she said it was really helpful for them as a couple because the resentment, it was less, you know, sometimes we think, oh, God, it's so much easier for our partners. Really, truly, it's anyone going through this, whoever it is, it's not easy. They're different stressors, but everybody's stressed. Physically delegating that way can be helpful. Well, and it's all about communication and being upfront about it. When you stay in your head and you just make assumptions and you have these unspoken expectations, it's just an opportunity for resentment to grow. So being explicit and saying, again, these are all of the things that we need to do. What are you good at? What am I good at? What must I do? What don't I have to do? Can you do these things? If you're not good at them, can we pay somebody else to do them to close the gap? I mean, it shouldn't then be, well, you're not good at them, so I'll just suck it up and do them as well. It's still, we're putting it out on the table and looking at, these are all of the things that have to be done. Let's make the comprehensive list and then drill down into who's good at what. And so lists are very helpful. They are. So any other do's and don'ts of organization? I mean, I know, Andrew, you and I were speaking offline before we started recording that you really have to work with people I know one-on-one or in a small group to really drill down on people's individual stories, experiences, and needs for organization. But you also, like me, are in the media a lot where you have one minute to transform (laughs) someone's life. So any other do's and don'ts of organization you chair? Well, Based on what we were talking about earlier, accountability is essential. You, anybody, you are likely not going to be the best person to hold yourself accountable. And it's not a chink in your armor or means that you're stupid or deformed or broken in some way to need external accountability. The brain science again tells us we have a three times greater chance of achieving a goal when we leverage external accountability. So why would you not want to triple your success? It requires us to be a little vulnerable and allow somebody to see us warts and all. 
the benefit of that is that we'll get stuff done much better and much quicker. So don't keep secrets and think, oh, I'll just keep this to my, like, I don't need to bother anybody with this. I'll just do this myself because you're carrying it all around with you, the execution and the accountability. Leverage other people in your circle, whether it's a partner or the extended circle of humanity. Maybe you've got a good girlfriend or a good boyfriend who can help where you just basically text them and say, I'm about to do something really uncomfortable or really awkward or confusing to me. I'm just putting myself on record. I'm going to now call the person. I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to read the article and whatever it is. And I will text you. So bookend the activity and then text them and say, I've completed it. I'm still doing it. I'm not playing with the dog because I'm still uncomfortable doing it. Whatever it takes to get outside of your head and get into the three-dimensional world, that's a tremendous game changer to just put yourself on notice that I'm going to do the thing that I've been avoiding or procrastinating on, and I'm declaring it so that you can hold me accountable. An accountability buddy or partner is a great tool. I think also sometimes I've set in for myself rewards after heard things that I'm accountable for. Sure. Like if I do this, then I'll reward myself with a cookie because I'm five years old. Right. But no, but those things really do help to look forward to something after, right? Anything else you want to add? You're full of wisdom and actually tangible ideas, which I so appreciate. I would say just every time you get lost in your head, you get lost in your heart, you're feeling overwhelmed, come right back to your core values and use those to quiet yourself down. What is the most important thing in this moment for me to do? Separate from the story, from that sense of time compression, that accelerated feeling, in this moment, what has to be done? And can it be okay for me to do less in a more focused way? In a day, a week, a month, the things that we're fretting about so often will be so less significant than they are in that moment. And to remember that, remember this part of the conversation that in a week, a month, a year, will this even have mattered? And I made it so important and I made myself so agitated and uncomfortable for what? It's just an old bad behavior of overstimulating myself with no real impact other than making myself uncomfortable. So can I dismantle that? I mean, that's the overall journey towards simplicity anyway of where's the fact, where's the story? How am I layering onto this to make it a bigger deal than it needs to be? And if I strip it all away, will it even matter? Yeah, and on that point, and what am I doing this for? I am doing this for, and I went through, as you know, like about 18 fertility treatments, but I always had to have the goal in mind, well, this is not all for nothing. This is actually to create life. This is a big value. This is a big goal. So to get through it, I can do it, and I need to do it because it's one of my biggest goals. Right. Thank you, Andrew. Where can people find you who want to find out more? You can find me at andrewmellon.com. Mellon is spelled M-E-L-E-N. 
And I'm all over the web there. So, I mean, that's a great place to start, andrewmellon.com. And from there, you can find me on my YouTube channel. I am on social media. So content goes out all of the places where you would expect it to be. But andrewmellon.com is probably the primary place to start. Perfect. And your book, I blurbed your last book, Calling Bullshit on Busy. Love it. So you can find them there as well. Thank you so much for being on the Pregnancy Podcast. My pleasure. And thank you for listening to another inspiring episode of Pregnanish, where we always have real talk about fertility. Until next time.